healing this month. And uh, we're talking about uh, the fact that Jesus, for some or other reason, made healing a big part of his ministry. I was thinking about this when I was prepping for the first sermon we did in the, in the week. It's like, you know, why, why is God so interested in healing if we're all going to die anyway? You know, like, you're going to die. Best is just prolonging your death, you know. It's, these are the things that I think about late at night. I apologize. Um, but yet, for some other reason... He made this a big part of his, a big part of his ministry, right? And Isaiah went so far as to prophesy that um, you know he would even he would, part of the prophecy was that he would open the eyes of the blind, right? That the the lame would walk, um, and so it's just strange to think about. And I think more more than anything, the it's not. Healing is not a, a, a reflection of what Jesus can do for us, but more it's a reflection of the nature of Jesus himself, right? And it speaks of who he is, that in, in any given moment, he is compassionate, right? Because now I might be, I might look at it from a very pragmatic, logical point of view. Well, what's the point of helping them out, you know? All the engineers can relate to that. Amen. Um, okay, let's move on. <laughs> uh, there's there's this one joke I remember that um, my mother likes to tell, and uh, it's 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 a little bit of a sarcastic joke, but I I want to I want to tell it just for the sake of of driving this point home because I think I don't think we must look over just how weird it is that Jesus came to heal. Like we know the story, so we know that that's who Jesus is. But I think sometimes we take it for granted that he made that such a big deal of his ministry, right? So there's this joke, and it goes like this: there's the there's a there's a pastor, there's a doctor, and an engineer, and they go golfing, right? And they're trying to play golf, and in the middle of the game, as as the as the guy's about to tear off, this guy just comes out of the bushes with the golf stick and he's wicking around, whacks the ball and then runs off into the bushes again and all three of them are standing there like, what's going on? You know, like, this is so weird. So they go on again, just about to tear off again. Just about to hit the ball. Once again, guy comes out of the bushes with a stick, smashing it around. Wakes the ball, disappears into the bushes, and they're like, no, this is ridiculous. So they go to the, the groundsman and they say, hey, what's going on? You know, we're trying to play a game of golf on a Sunday night. On a, no, it's a, not a Sunday because one of them's a pastor. It's a Saturday, obviously. <laughs> and the groundsman said, oh, it's actually such a tragic story, you see. So there was a fire, and these firemen came, and they... You know, they, they put out the fire and they saved the club, but unfortunately, the one guy went blind. And so, as a thank you, we gave him a lifetime membership to the golf club. They're like, okay. So, the, the pastor says, oh, this is tragic. I'm going to organize a 24-7 prayer, worship. We're going to pray for the guy, okay? And then... The doctor says, well, I know people will try to sort it out. 
And the engineer says, well, why can't he play at night, you know? <laughs> now, it is a very sarcastic joke, but I, I don't want to look past the logic of having to deal with people. You've got the God of the universe, right? There are so many things that you've got to think of when the universe is going. And you and I, we're but vapors, right? We're here today, we're gone tomorrow. And yet when Jesus arrives, he's so interested in the individual that he stops everything that he's doing and the logic in me is going, but why? And he wants to deal with you and your problem and he wants to heal you in this moment. I think there's something that we, that we lose. We, we read these, these stories, but there's something that we lose in just the profoundness of him just stopping to heal in the first place. Right? Have you ever thought about this? Has Jesus not got better things to do? And apparently, no, he doesn't have better things to do because he declares that he only does what he sees his Father in heaven doing. So think of that. It's not just that Jesus is stopping, it's that the Trinity in perfect unity is stopping in a moment to take care of an individual's needs. And this is the most important, profound thing that needs to happen in the entire universe right now. Isn't that incredible? Okay, it, it's, it's not like Jesus was a rogue agent and he's like kind of slipping healings while his dad was looking the other way, right? The Trinity is in perfect unity. And while they've got the entire universe to tend to, right now they've got to stop because you, as an individual, are what needs attention right now. Right now, in this moment. And the logic can be, well, you know, well, the person's going to die eventually. Like, do we really need to help them out? And apparently to God, the answer is no, we need to help them out now. This is important, okay? So I want to read this passage of scripture just to start off with. I started this a while back. And the point of that joke is that it, it kind of highlights a little bit of our cynicism when we, when, we get, when we get to healing, right? Why do we need to heal? Surely we can find another way to solve things. Surely there's better things to think of. Surely there's, there's other ways to, to go about this. But for some reason, healing in God's wisdom... And in his bigness, healing is the way to go. So let's, let's talk about this. 1 Corinthians 13, you know this passage of scripture, it's the, it's the love passage. No? Hopefully you've read this to your wife at some point. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. 
Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. But now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So this is, this is the weird thing. So healing, if I was to say, put up your hand, if you think healing is a good thing, a lot of you would probably put up, yeah, yeah, hey, healing's a good thing, yeah. Uh, but did you know that there will not be any healing in heaven? Okay, right? So healing's good, but we, there will be no healing in heaven because there will not be a need for it, okay? And prophecy is a good thing. Is prophecy a good thing? Yeah, did you know that there will not be any prophecy in heaven? Right? Um, faith is a good thing. Okay? Faith will fall away. There will be no more faith in heaven. Why? Because the thing that we had faithful will, would come to pass. Right? Um, and the, the thing about healing is that although it is not necessarily an eternal thing, it is a tool that Jesus has given us for today. One day we will know Jesus fully. We will see him face to face. That will be good times, right? But now the reality is that we are in a dispensation where we see things in part, okay? And then, so there are tools that God has given us to, to make it through this period of time before we get to eternity where we will see God f- fully. And so one of them is prophecy, one of them is faith, and one of them is healing, okay? And I think this healing part really, I, w- I want to talk about this today because I think this really gives us an indication of something about the nature of who Jesus is, okay? So I'm going to read three stories um, from the Gospels, uh, three stories where Jesus heals people. And we're going to see what this tells us about who Jesus is. Okay. So the first story we're going to read is in Mark chapter 2. So you guys can go to Mark chapter 2. This is the story about a group of friends drop their friend through the roof. You ever heard of the story? This is a good one, okay. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, so Capernaum, this was kind of like Jesus' second home. He was from Nazareth, but he spent a lot of time in this town, and a couple of his disciples were from this town. Uh, Peter, if I'm not mistaken, was from this town. Um, And Jesus did a lot of miracles in this town, and so the, the people had, had built up quite an expectation in terms of what Jesus could do and, he, and what he was capable of. And we're going to see that kind of reflected in the story. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. Okay? So these guys knew, they knew Jesus by now. They knew what he could do. They're packing that house like sardines. They're all very, very interested in, in the message that he's got to preach. I mean, I, I think you, could, you can kind of tangibly imagine the faith in this room, right? There's no cynicism in this room, okay? They're not, they, they, they're not looking at Jesus in terms of what he can and what he cannot do 
or what they believe he can, they, they know what he is capable of, okay? Verse 3, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men, and when they, got, when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay, and when Jesus saw their faith, say, saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Okay, they're not wrong. <laughs> it is only God alone that can forgive sins, but they don't recognize who's in front of them. Okay, so they write, they write that God can forgive sins, but, but it's the same kind of, of cynicism that's like in that joke, right? Surely, surely the gods of the universe has got better things to do than forgive this person's sin, right? Why would he be interested in him, right? Do you, do you, can you kind of feel that coming through? We serve God. We're very good servants of God. We've worked very hard. You know, I'm a scribe. I've, I've spent a lot of time studying the word. I know the laws. You know, I've got a lot of status. And if God's going to come to the planet, he's going to come spend time with me, not that homeless guy on a stretcher being dropped to the ground by his friends. Right? Can you, can you kind of feel that like it's the cynicism going around? Okay. And if you read if you read enough scripture, you you pick that up from the Pharisee. I read a I read a story two weeks ago. Also, once again, Jesus at a pool. He's about to heal a, a withered withered uh, a man's withered arm, and um, and he looks around at the crowd, and this, and the scripture says that that he's angry at their hardness of heart, and he asks them this very very profound question because they're interested in. Is Jesus obeying the law or not? And Jesus asks a very good question, because he's, he's very good at asking very good questions. Is it lawful to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath? Right? What is the point of the law? That you follow the law or that you do good? Hopefully that you do good, right? But, but, but essentially the Pharisees, their hearts are exposed. It's not that... It's not that they don't believe in God. It's just that they don't believe that God comes to the poor and the lonely. Right? He can't, he can't be for them. Surely God's got better things to do. Surely I've worked hard and I deserve that God comes to serve me. Right? Um, verse 5, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, oh, I've read that part, sorry. Uh, verse, verse 8, and immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sons are forgiven, or, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them, 
so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Okay, so imagine while I'm speaking, okay, as I'm speaking, somebody starts opening up the roof, and all of a sudden a man lowers down, okay? In your heart of hearts, how many of us would be annoyed that the service is being interrupted? <laughs> Probably me as well, eh? Right? Now, now, don't get me wrong. There's, there's, there's definitely, um, you know, when, when bending on the ministry, and there's definitely sort of things that you've got to keep in mind, you know, especially when you when you're, uh, for instance, working, if you've had any experience working with the homeless, you know, there's, you can't just give out handouts. There's, there's things that you've got to do to help. But the, the point of the story, I think, is not necessarily that it's that it, about method and methodology, but it's just exposing in our hearts. When we look at what Jesus can do, do we believe that he can do it? first and fundamentally? And do we believe that he can do it to you? Or to your neighbor? Right? Okay, let's go to the next story. We'll recap just now. Luke chapter 7. Best book in the Bible. Best book in the Bible. (laughs) Thanks, Wim Johnny. He's my favorite. Don't tell the others, eh? Okay. Uh, Luke chapter 7 from verse uh, 1, once again. So, um, the next two stories are interesting because they, um, they aren't, the people involved are not Jewish. Um, but it is the only two times in the Bible that we see where Jesus talks about somebody's faith as being great faith. This person has great faith, right? Um, there's something about their faith which Jesus marveled at. He was incredibly impressed with their faith. Gonna, and let's read these stories and let's see why. Okay. Um, Luke 7 from verse 1. After he had finished all, all his sayings in the hearings of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick. At that point of death, a centurion is like a captain, so uh, a captain of the local Roman garrison. So you must remember um, Israel was under Roman occupation, so they had many garrisons spread out all over the place that housed their soldiers and government in order to keep things, keep things going. And so uh, a centurion would have been quite a high-ranking official. Um, what's amazing about this story, so now Christianity only becomes legal in the Roman Empire 300 years after this. But already we start to see um, Jesus as a person, belief in Jesus as a person starting to infiltrate Roman ranks. Right? So we, we're already seeing it here. Now, verse 2, now centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him for he loves our nation and he is the one who built us our synagogue. Okay, so 
the Jewish leaders are coming to Jesus on behalf of the Roman centurion saying, this guy's legit. He loves Israel. He loves the chosen people. He built us a synagogue. In other words, a Roman centurion built a temple dedicated to another God, obviously the God of the Jews. Okay, this is, this is quite profound and very, very unusual. Okay, very, very unusual. Verse 6, um, and Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turning to the crowd and followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Um, Other translations will say great faith. And when those who had sent had been sent, returned to the house, they found the servant well. Okay, so this, this Roman centurion does not even meet with Jesus, okay? He sends people, he sends his servants ahead of him and says, Jesus, uh, I'm not worthy to receive you. I am a Roman centurion, I have a high-ranking authority, um, and and by all by all means, this Roman centurion had the authority to kill Jesus. He had he had the authority to send to send um, soldiers out and have Jesus killed. Would have been very easy for him. Okay, um, so in the eyes of man, this Roman centurion was far greater than Jesus. In the eyes of man, okay, but in the eyes of the centurion. He felt that he was not even worthy to have Jesus in his home. Okay. Now, it's, there's a whole other sermon in terms of where did this Roman centurion hear about Jesus? How has he come to know about Jesus? And, how, and even more profoundly, how has he come to know about Jesus to such an extent where he has, as Jesus says, such great faith? He hasn't seen this in all of Israel. Somebody that isn't Jewish, isn't born Jewish, has not been born with their customs and traditions, and yet he has such an understanding of Jesus that he knows that he's not even worthy to receive him. And he knows the power that Jesus has. You don't have to come here. I know what you can do. You say, go, go, come, come. You say, if you say he'll be healed, he'll be healed. This story is um, especially relevant to us because you and I, or most of you, I assume most people in the room, are not Jewish, right? Um, You and I were adopted into a family. We were grafted into a family, right? You, You and I did not grow up Jewish. We are not accustomed to the Jewish customs and traditions, and yet... Uh, oh, and, and also, um, there has not, uh, unless somebody's got a really cool testimony, it's very possible, uh, but most of us probably have not had a physical sit-down, one-on-one conversation with Jesus the person, right? 
So maybe Jesus has visited you in a dream, in a vision, but probably a physical manifestation of Jesus, the person, uh, you probably didn't have that growing up. And so what you know about Jesus, you've heard. And hopefully you've heard well and you've had the opportunity to grow up in Sundays, Sunday school and um, hopefully somebody shared with Jesus you a little bit and that's uh, why assuming why you're here this morning because you've heard of him. You've heard of what he's capable of. And the great, th- the great news for you is that Jesus responds to that faith. Right? He's so impressed with faith. If you want to impress Jesus, faith. Jesus loves faith. He loves it when people know who he is and, and have a profound sense of what he is capable of. Okay? So now... Okay, we'll talk about that. Just let me not get ahead of myself. Last story, Matthew chapter 15. Once again, a Gentile lady. This is a very interesting story. This is actually in the news last year. Um, but I'm not going to get into that right now, this story. This was uh, in the news last year because there were a couple of people who are not Christians who found the story offensive. Um, Matthew chapter 15, I'm going to read from verse 21. And Jesus went from there and withdrew to the, uh, to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. Okay, so this is quite offensive. (laughs) Lady comes up to Jesus, begs for mercy. Jesus doesn't even respond. Um, And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. Verse 24, he answered, I was sent only to do the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. This is offensive. So first off, this Canaanite woman. Okay, So now Canaanites and the Israelites, they weren't getting along very well at that time. Uh, and it's one of the things that gave the Romans gray hairs that they constantly had to separate the Jews and this group and the Jews and that group. And the Jews were getting into fights with everybody. Um, and one of those groups was the Canaanites. And so it was very, very abnormal that a Jewish person would speak to a Canaanite or that a Canaanite would come speak to a Jewish person. So it's very, very, very strange that not only is this woman speaking to Jesus, but she's begging him. Okay? And also the fact that he's a man as well um, is also strange. So this is very, very abnormal once again. And to top it all off, remember now she's crossing all these cultural boundaries. There's all this cultural animosity. And um, so she's, you can maybe get a sense of how she's worked herself up. Okay? I know he's a Jew, but, you know, maybe he's a good one. I don't know. You know, he seems to do a bunch of cool stuff. Maybe he'll hear me out. 
She's worked up this courage. She's gone to him in front of a whole bunch of people. She said, uh, Jesus, can you help me? And he's just like, sure, that's offensive, okay? And she's making such a racket that the disciples go to Jesus and say, can't you just tell her to go away? I mean, she's, she's starting to annoy us, right? And then Jesus says to her something even more offensive, says, well, my, my works come to the Jewish people, okay? So it's not right for me to take the food and give it to the dogs. He's literally calling her a dog. This is, I mean, you can understand why this is offensive, okay? And um, so let's read on. Let's see how the story, story ends. Verse 27, she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Okay. So now, what's, what's interesting to note, because we've just read a story before this, it's not that Jesus didn't heal people that were non-Jewish, or help people that were non-Jewish, right? There, there are quite a few stories that you can think of the woman at the well who was not Jewish. We just read the story of the Roman centurion. So why does he make a big fuss with this woman? And there's something about the nature of Jesus where he draws faith out of people. He wants to see what have you got, okay? We know that he's compassionate, there's, there's enough stories that we know of him that we know that this is, this is an, an unusual response for Jesus. Usually, what happens is a person comes to him and, you know, picks up some mud, rubs it in the eyes, okay, you know, sticks a finger in the ear, um, heals them. Something. But, but with this woman, he flat out ignores her. And it's almost like he wants to see when she's pressed, how much does she want it? And it turns out she wants it real bad. And she's going to do what she, what she needs to do to be heard by the God of the universe. And what this, what this tells us about the nature of Jesus is that when we go looking for him, he will, he will listen. And he responds to her um, and, and, and gives her an incredible compliment at the end. He says, you have great faith. Your faith is great. There's something that is profound about your faith. What you desire will be yours. Right? In fact, I want you to listen to the exact words that he uses. Be it done for you as you desire. As you desire. What you desire He's not saying what, what I desire, what my will be done. He's saying what you desire because of your great faith will be done. Okay, so let's recap here. Go to the next sound. So there is a profound, with all three of these stories, there's a profound acceptance of who Jesus is. Okay, we know who he is. We know that he, we can approach him on the Sabbath. We know that, he is, that I'm not even worthy to have him in my home. And I know, like in the last story, 
I know that I know that I have a profound awareness that he is the master. That in my sin, I'm like a dog running around the table. There's a profound belief in what Jesus can do. We know what he is capable of. Because we, this, and this point leads on from the, second, from the first point, sorry. Okay, Because I know who he is, I know what he is capable of. That he is able to meet me where I am. That, and not only that, but he is able to do what it is he sets his mind to, what he sets his mind on. He is able to heal. He is able to cast out the demons. He is able to bring justice. He is able to save. He is able to provide. He is able to heal. Right? But not only that, the, the, the profound nature of this last story is that even when I have little faith, he is, what he's able to do is to draw that faith out of me. How many, how many of you have ever been in a situation where you want to believe, but you're so frustrated that you don't have the faith for it? Ever been in that situation? The amazing nature of Jesus is that even then, he will still provide with a situation where faith can be drawn out. You can even still come to him with a little bit of faith. A little bit of faith is not the thing that offends Jesus. What is it? It's that cynicism. Right? Well, maybe there's, maybe Jesus has got better things to do. Maybe he's got better people to hang out with. Maybe the blind should just go hang out in the dark somewhere. Right? And, and it's, it's, it's funny, but it, it reveals a little bit about the nature of our, our culture where we just, we, we're, we go into situations with a cynicism that, you know, maybe he's got better things to do. But the, what this last story teaches us is that to those who would dare make a fool of themselves, to those who would throw themselves at the feet of Jesus. He's got all the time in the world. And you don't have to come with the right amount of belief or the right amount of faith or the right amount of credentials. You just have to come. There's an understanding that Jesus, I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. Jesus, you're the master. If I could just get a couple of crumbs that fall from your table. David had the same sort of Sentiment. If I, if I can just be a doorkeeper, the king of Israel is saying, if I can just be the, the guy that holds the door in heaven, shop, I've made it. Right? If I can just be that guy. I want to read from you quickly from Hebrews 11. I'm going to wrap up. Hebrews 11 comes just after Hebrews 10. I'm struggling to find Hebrews. <laughs> Thanks. There we go. Off the Genesis. <laughs> Thanks, Arthur. 
you're, you're not wrong. <laughs> Just before Revelation. Okay, Hebrews 11. I'm going to read from verse 1 quickly. Let's listen to this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hopeful and the conviction of things not seen. Okay, so sometimes you might have heard about faith being blind, right? Ever heard of that? What, what this is telling us is that faith is not blind, it's actually a conviction. I know that I know that I know that this is real, okay? So it's kind of like this. I need a, a volunteer. Can I get a volunteer? One author, thank you. See that hand. Okay, author, can you take a seat, please? It's reserved, it's reserved, it's reserved for author, okay. Arthur, um, why did you take a seat? Because I was invited. And how did you know that that chair would hold you? Because I've sat it on before. You sat on this chair before. So you've sat on a chair like it, but you don't know if you sat on this chair. No, not really. So, but you were convinced that that chair was going to hold you. And why do you think that is? Through experience. Experience. Okay, great. Thank you, Arthur. Go sit down. Give him a round of applause. See, and faith is very similar to that. See, what, what you've done, what Arthur's done in his head without him even knowing it is he's seen this chair, okay? And he's, I've, I've put it up in front and in his brain, in his subconscious brain, he's going through all the different chairs that he's ever sat on. And he knows that that looks like a chair. He's never sat on this chair, but he sat on many, 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 many other chairs, you know. Many, 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 many other chairs. Um, this isn't a reference to his age. <laughs> many chairs, okay. And, and what his brain has done is it's filed all these different chairs. And so by the time he looks at this chair, he says, you know, it looks like a lot of the chairs that I've sat on. It's got the same shape. Um, and in fact, you know, because Luke invited me to sit here, um, and Luke isn't a bad guy, it probably works like a chair as well. And without him even thinking about it, without him needing to go, oh, please, Jesus, when I sit down, will the chair hold me? Please, Jesus. Okay, now if you're into woodworking, you do pray that prayer. Please, Jesus. No, he doesn't even think about it. What he does is he gets up and he sits down like it's an everyday, normal activity. Right? And faith, faith is something very, very similar. Okay? Because when we come to Jesus, the thing that, that informs our faith and the biggest killer of faith is disappointment. Okay? Because this experience, the reality of life is that experience, good or bad, informs our faith. Okay? So now imagine the scenario if for some or other reason, just because of, let's put it down to just pure bad luck, every single chair that Arthur had ever sat on collapsed as soon as he sat on it. Okay? Imagine the scenario where, okay, I'd go, okay, Arthur, please come sit on this chair. And all of a sudden, Arthur starts having a panic attack because of a chair. Okay, why, and why would that be? Because, well, 
His experience has informed him that those things that everybody says you can rely on is not reliable. Okay? But here's the other thing is that you can, to a certain extent, shape your experience. Because if you do not believe that healings take place, let me tell you, you'll be right. You'll probably never, ever witness them. If you do not believe that Jesus is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, then you'll probably be right. But to those who would dare and risk, at some point, for the first time in Arthur's life, he had to sit on this crazy thing called a chair. Okay, now, luckily, he was very, very young at that stage. I'm talking about the 1920s, you know. <laughs> no, <joking. laughs> so now, but at some point, Arthur had to do it for the first time. He had to sit on a chair for the first time. Okay? At some point, he had to believe that what he was being told when his mother said, sit, that it would happen. And his experience led to good experience, led to good experience. But for some of us, we get stuck in a very negative cycle where bad experience informs bad experience, which informs bad experience, which informs bad experience. There are some people that say that healing doesn't happen because I have never experienced healing before. Their experience has led them to develop a theology in which Jesus does or does not act. Let me read this next part. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him.